Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello everyone, this is Troy. I hope everyone is having a great New Year's that uh, so far 2020 has been uh, profitable or successful or at least you haven't screwed stuff totally in the ground. (laughs) The year's just begun, right? All right, well, a couple updates before we get into our our guest interview. Uh, Obviously, starting the new year, uh, we've uh, we've actually rotated out our pigs as as we speak right now. I have only one pig on farm, and that was simply because she would not get in the trailer. So I believe we're going to uh, process her on farm. Um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from y'all. I think what we're going to do in an episode coming up soon, um, I'm going to kind of interview myself, <laughs> and it won't be as cheesy as actually asking questions and then turn around and answering them, but I'll kind of go through the same pick list that I go through of questions for uh, my guests, kind of answer those to get uh, uh, people up to speed. I've had a lot of questions as to what's going on, though not everybody watches the YouTube channel, so I thought I'd do that, kind of summarize where we are, because I'm excited to uh, to talk about uh, what we've got coming as far as new pigs go. Uh, we've been working with David Crafton. Uh, you guys have heard him on the podcast before, and we're going to get a, uh, a breeding set from him as well as some growers to finish out so we can have some product this year. So we'll we'll update that and detail that, do some backstory there as well. So um, look forward to that coming up. Hopefully that'll be as, uh, as at least be as entertaining as our guests have been. We'll see. Um, I'm going to jump right into our, uh, our interview and then on the backside, we'll talk about some specifics as well. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the pastured pig podcast. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, Troy. Uh, if my voice sounds a little different, it's because it is that time of year and, uh, I've got a pretty good head cold. So I'm going to try to keep the coughing and hacking to a minimum and let our guests speak. Uh, tonight we have with us on the podcast Stephen Smith with Iron Bell Acres, and he's in Greensboro, just, uh, Greensboro, just outside of Greensboro, North Carolina. So uh, welcome, Stephen. How are you tonight? Good. How are you doing, Troy? Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem, man. Doing well. Doing well. Like I said, other than uh, producing more byproduct than the mo- the alien in the movie Aliens, I- I'm I'm doing all right. <laughs> oh, hey, <laughs> like I understand I, that. Like I said, I'll try to keep from uh, hacking and coughing in the mic here. All right, no so, worries. so uh, North Carolina. So you guys have been swimming a little bit like we have, haven't you? Yeah, we've been getting quite a bit of rain the last few weeks. Um, we started off fairly dry, at, at least I guess, in compared to you know the monsooning that everybody on the east east coast had last year. Um, but in the last, I think, seven days, I think we've had somewhere close to six inches of rain. I think. Uh, with a couple inches here in the last couple of days, and so things have been pretty wet and muddy. Yeah, have you guys had an unseasonally warm winter like we have? Oh man, yeah, it's uh, it's was seventy degrees today, and I think sixty nine yesterday. But then you know, two or three days before that, you know, it was down below freezing. So it's it's been a roller coaster for sure. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's been it's been interesting. The uh, the farm is definitely liquefied right now between the freeze and thaw, and then of course all the rain. 
Okay. Well, so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Iron Bell Acres. Give me the uh, 40,000-foot elevation, the, your layout, your farm, uh, what you got going on there. Okay. Uh, so uh, about seven years ago now, my wife and I, uh, after we got married, uh, I had already bought some family land um, here, a l- little over five acres, and we built on what was an old uh, tobacco field. And tobacco field, uh, when the far- local farmer, you know, kind of sold out of his stock, you know, then turned over into, you know, soybean, corn, those types of things. Um, so it was basically wide open field, uh, but it was actually part of our family land. Uh, we were on about 80 acres of family land uh, joined together with my mom's side of the family. And uh, it was always traditionally used as a tobacco farm. Uh, my uh, great-grandfather was the one that kind of originated and started that. The land belonged to him. Uh, and then continuing along, um, I guess kind of like most people, I guess we, we when I was a young kid to older teenager, we started with chickens. I guess everybody says is the you know, gateway right. animal. Uh, and so we started started with them and six chicks from the local tractor supply turned into a, a couple hundred at one time. And, and then we kind of just actually transitioned on uh, through multiple different animals, some exotic stuff, different things, and always just kind of piddling and tinkering with stuff. Always just enjoyed animals, raising animals, uh, reading and learning about them. Uh, and so then it was actually about six years ago uh, that we actually got into pigs for the first time. I had always been real hesitant growing up um, of having pigs here on our you know little farm and messing with was just had always just you know heard rumors and about the the mess and the stink and the all the different things that came with pigs and keeping them fed and keeping them contained in fences. And um, but but then we kind of just started you know a little bit more reading and things and getting into wanting to you know, grow more of our own food and still looking for kind of that niche of uh, something here on the farm that could actually, you know, and not just be a hobby, but potentially get a little bit of money from. And, and so that's kind of how that started. Um, and so we started our first year, first winter actually of just growing a couple of pigs, uh, I guess, old school dirt lot, uh, you know, feeding the, the slop to them and um you know pig feed and that kind of thing and then uh, got the meat back and it was great uh but we realized that it still wasn't really quite what we wanted and continued my research and reading and everything and so then the next year is then when we actually started rolling into pasture uh or pasture raising pigs and and uh haven't looked back i guess since then and uh, we currently uh, are kind of in the transition phase a little bit, and I don't know if transition doesn't really mean we have a necessarily plan. Uh, we have traditionally raised uh, kind of an assortment of breeds uh, of everything from the you know Cooney Coonies uh, up to the Berkshires, Yorkshires, Durocks. Um, and right now we currently, what we have is kind of a hodgepodge. So we have some Idaho pasture pigs, um, which I know saying that word uh, kind of turns some people the wrong way because I, you know, some people don't really consider them a breed, um, but they've been a good pick for us. And anyway, so we have them and uh, still a couple of different mixed uh, Burke, York, Yorkshire crosses, crosses that we're growing out for, for pork. Um, and then we're actually in the process of transitioning over to the American Guinea hawks. Um, so we've kind of got a little hodgepodge right now for, I guess having them for various reasons and 
um, have about 25 pigs or so right now, and including all sizes and ages. And some are our breeders, and then some are, of course, growing out for pork. Um, and then we uh, process several times a year and then sell mostly sausage and then some retail cuts. And then we're starting to get a little bit more into selling the um, whole hogs and getting people interested in that. All right. Yeah. So, um, so let's back up a little bit and, and cover some of those details there. That, that That's a lot, uh, a lot of ground to cover. So um, why, why are you transitioning to the, the Guinea hog? What, what out of everything that you've raised, why that direction? I think the Guinea hog uh, is wanting to offer a little bit more of a challenge. Maybe I think uh, part of me has gotten, uh, I, I know the Guinea hogs are not going to be my, my, my full pork production pigs, there's not going to be enough of a market. I mean, I already know that, uh, but I think I got interested in them because of uh, after doing some more research and reading and things through the Livestock Conservancy um, and then wanting to m- focus on, at least in part, uh, of being able to raise more of a heritage breed and to be able to work with the process of, you know, registering the pigs, you know, registering the best at least um, and kind of helping maybe grow those numbers. Uh, the guinea hog kind of fit that bill uh, out of the different breeds that are on the livestock conservancy list, uh, just because they were more readily available in my area. Um, still not the easiest to track down, but uh, far easier than some of the other breeds that were on there. And and kind of wanted something. Uh, I told somebody recently that they they kind of asked me the same thing and uh, kind of wanted to I guess save the guinea hog for a, a quote unquote ra- rainy day. Um, if we ever decided to fully get out of the, you know, a little bit larger and medium breed pigs, um, but we wanted to kind of keep something around just to even, you know, process and slaughter ourselves without even taking to a you know, processing plant, uh, the guinea hog would be something that would kind of fit that bill and a uh, little bit more easier to, to manage in the long run. Yeah. So it sounds like you're still going to keep other breeds on or are you going to be solely AGH at some point? I think, yeah, we're still going to keep some other breeds on. And, and that's kind of where part of that transition is not uh, fully uh, set in stone. Uh, we have had the Idaho pasture pigs now going on our third year. And so far, they have probably been our favorite breed or, or mix. I, I'll be careful with that word breed. But uh, but anyway, they uh, they have probably been our favorite so far just because of the, the, the size uh, we like the kind of medium size, you know, pig. They are a little bit slower in growth, but you know, definitely faster growing. At least, at least in our experience, uh, than the, of course the the AGH or the Cooney Cooney. Um, still achieve good weight, um, and this, they've been really easy on pasture, uh, really easy to manage, and uh, we've we've actually found at least again without the ones we have, you know, a little bit more consistency uh, as far as pig, pigs that have been able to to get for our area. Um, we right now i'd mentioned that we, we still have a couple of cross pigs uh we have actually been able to um, i guess you want to say partner uh slash uh, you know kind of get some assistance from one of the local uh colleges uh a and t state university hmm. uh, they have a good farm uh program and a lot of ag stuff going on there and we've actually been able to purchase pigs through them uh fairly regular for, for the last two years uh, and that's kind of where some of our, you know, Burke, York, Duroc, uh, and, and various Tamworth crosses and things like that have come from. Um, and that, and that was kind of the reason I guess we started doing some of those is to help just fill the extra gap. Uh, we started with the Idaho pasture pigs, 
and we started with four guilds um and after we we originally had a you know had a boar and you know bread and had litters and so what we ended up doing was we kept the two better ones um ones that fared the easiest had the biggest litters and just were all around the i guess better pig um and but the thing with that was then is we're you know one of the only people around that has these idaho pasture pigs um and so a lot of times we didn't end up kind of shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit because we would you know we'd had so many people interested in piglets that we would um you know end up selling too many and then we would have some for pork and and then about all while all this is going on about a little over two years ago that's when pork pork sales really picked up and so then we were you know selling out of sausage and retail cuts really fast right so we had to be able to find some more pigs to be able to help fill that gap yeah it seems to be the way it goes that you 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 get onto something and then uh then the uh the scalability becomes comes an issue when it uh, when it really hits the way you hope it does (laughs) yeah well, cool. So you'd mentioned, obviously, I, I think you kind of answered the question I had next to my head, but you'd mentioned having breeders on. So you had a you had a boar for the Idaho pastured pigs, um, but you're also getting some feeders uh, from the local college and some other sources. So right now you're just you kind of have uh, you know, an eclectic variety of breeds that you're you're just still kind of figuring out and 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 putting, like you said, putting your transition game plan together. It sounds like. Yeah, we do, and I and I think we're kind of we're we're going to slow back kind of off of getting pigs from the local university. Um, just because the, the there was a little bit more inconsistency there as far as with the breeds we were getting and then the quality and traits that they were then using to transition or not, not using but transitioning with onto pasture um, and a lot more you know with the pigs we would get some that would you know that would fall right in line with the pigs that we had as far as our our guinea hogs and our pasture pigs and uh, you know, not testing the fences and doing well on pasture and not tearing everything up. And then you would get all of a sudden we'd get this batch of six to eight you know, feeders and and they would absolutely just moon crater the whole place if you let them. And um, meat, meat quality was a little inconsistent sometimes more with them, you know, whereas we were sticking with our our other breeds, you kind of knew what to expect. And then with the some of the crosses, we didn't quite know. So I think I think we're really kind of tra- slowing down off of those a little bit. And yeah um hopefully not sure if we're going to stick with the pasture pigs uh we've actually had sold our breeding boar uh just a few weeks ago actually so uh so not going to have any more full-blooded of those but so we're not sure where the other direction or that other half you know we know we're going to work with the guinea hogs a little bit it's kind of a little bit of a hobby you know more so or less with helping the breed um but but far as our other half we're we're still (laughs) up in the air yeah yeah interesting well good um so looking at that then um so the the agh you would uh end up finding a boar for or you already have found one yeah we do we uh we found one we we bought a couple of registered gilts uh not too far about a about an hour away or so um and then we actually found a registered boar kind of in a another northern direction up towards the virginia north carolina line um and so we do have those and then we uh, to go along with that, just for you know to grow out as uh, feeders, we brought bought up some unregistered stock as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, you'd mentioned that uh, the the family property that you're on was at one point uh, tobacco and and some other monocrops. So how how did you find uh, the quality of the pastures? Have you had to do much uh, amendment? I know the tobacco, especially at least in our areas, is kind of tough on on ground after a while. So did you have oh, any challenges man, there? Yeah. Yeah, it was, oh God, it was, it was, it was terrible for the first, 
uh, about four years or so, um, we we kind of looked out when I when I purchased the property uh, from an uncle who was actually leasing it still for farming at that time. But when I purchased it for a piece of land from him, uh, we we actually kind of looked out. I can remember still like I said about a little over five years, five almost six years ago. Um, the we the we worked it out with a local farmer. You know, told him it was going to kind of you know be the last time they were going to be able to lease it. Um, and so we had a good rain come in, and the, the farmer that was actually tilted up for winter wheat. Um, and had already got the seed spread out, we were actually able to come in right behind them and go ahead and you know, put some fescue and clover in. Um, and so, you know, fortunately, they, they were actually still able to get a cutting of the, the wheat off, but it left a lot of the fescue and clover then underneath. Um, and so that kind of gave us a little bit of a start. But yeah, it was yeah. a constant battle for the first couple of years and weed problems. And then, you know, you would have a good, excellent, you know, awesome quality pasture for about a month in the spring, you know, about May. And then after that, it was just absolutely terrible. And then a lot of that too, was just us having to be able to learn that about actual pasture management and then, you know, the rest restoration. And I think now, you know, here a few years later, you know, with more experience and, um, it's been, it's been a much easier to manage now, uh, for the last about year and a half, we haven't actually been, been using any, um, uh, chemicals, um, on it other than the one piece that we're still working on uh, the weeds kind of over really just got too much ahead in those areas uh, unedible weeds I should say and um, so we're still working a little bit with that spot for our spray and with you know remaining areas we've been able to keep a really good quality with and, and a lot of that I think has been too with uh, us you know managing it better resting it more in the winter time and then we have wet spells like we have right now i think i told you before we came on you know like some people say we're growing mud more than we are other animals and uh you know it's um so when, when it gets real wet we're able to be able to put them up and pigs up in sacrifice areas uh and we have various other animals and things that run through with the pigs too so it's it's definitely been more of a juggling and balancing act for getting the pasture in better quality but i think we're fi- think we're finally starting to get there yeah yeah excellent sounds sounds good so in that setup then are you um are you being able, I know you said you've got a sacrificial area this time of year. Do you, in the, in your peak season, your best growing season, are you, are you able to do some rotation? Do you have your, your pasture broken up into paddocks? Yeah, so it is broken up into paddocks. Um, we have about four main areas of pasture. So there's about two acres of pasture that we have broken up into four paddocks. Uh, from the smallest one, uh, we call it kind of the nursery areas where we like to move the pigs in the spring, especially with the, uh, you know, with piglets after they farrowed, uh, that's only about a quarter acre. And then the largest section is about three quarters of an acre. Um, and so we rotate the pigs through those different areas. Um, we don't really do like a regular, like, you know, I'm going to rotate every so many days. Uh, usually we've been able to keep consistent enough that, um, we can actually let them be on the whole area for a more extended period of time. I know on like that three quarter acres in the paddock, Usually with, we run anywhere between about 15 and 20, um, various sizes. Uh, we can keep them out there for a pretty extended period of time. Um, and then we're very fortunate. We, we connect up to, uh, of course, like I said, family land. And so there's about five to six acres of wooded area, uh, woodland area that we have that connects to our property. And so we get to use that as well. It's a really big help to us, especially this time of year. Um, uh, it, it, of course, it's very wet down in there too, but it offers a lot more 
uh, foraging for the pigs, and the acre and crop was just really good out there this year. There's a lot of hardwood, oak, and hickory, so that provides a lot of foraging and grazing opportunity for the pigs. And it helps too because it's, um, you know, like I said, we're right out in the middle of what used to be a tobacco field, so we've we had, you know, no trees uh, on the five acres other than what bordered the bordered our property. Uh, so that wooded area really offers good, you know, cool shade in the winter time, and actually connects up to a neighbor's uh, pond that actually comes through his fence line, and so our pigs are able to drink from that in the summer, and so it really offers a lot of benefit to us. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. That's a that's a nice benefit to have um, your real access water there. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's talk about uh, your feeding. Uh, what what are you uh, what are you supplementing? Obviously, yeah, with good pasture and it sounds like a little bit of woodlot forage. What are you doing for primary feed? So we do a fourteen percent uh, pig grower. Uh, we we get that from a, a local co op, Southern States. Um, we, we consistently feed, feed that, uh, as a ration. And then this time of year, which, I mean, again, it really hasn't gotten that cool really yet, but, uh, we actually supplement too with, uh, soaked and fermented corn. Um, so those are kind of the two extra main supplementations. Uh, and that's really about all we do these days. Uh, we've gone through trial and error of, going to local produce stands and getting extras and, you know, in the spring and summer. And, you know, we've done the, you know, we'll show up at the pumpkin patch and, you know, ask for all the pumpkins and different things. But uh, there's about two times a year, usually early fall, that we we do have a local uh, orchard that we are able to get some peaches and apples from. But for the most part, we pretty much try to be consistent with just supplementing with the, the, the pig grower and then, like I said, this time of year, we feed a little bit of the fermented soaked corn, and that's usually more just to our breeders. Uh, we don't feed a lot of the fermented or soaked corn to our, our grow outs, which are the ones we use as pork, mm-hmm. um, just because we, 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 well, we keep them separate this time of year, too. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. You, you mentioned you had a lot of variety in, in age. Do you Do you try to get to where you have X amount of processing days a year? Uh, on the calendar or you just kind of arbitrarily go out and grab who looks to be the right size when the time comes yeah so this time of, this this th- now for the last year year and a half uh when like i said uh we, we got our meat handlers uh license uh, for north carolina about a little over a year and a half ago um, and when we started selling it uh, other than you know we were just using for personal use and family before that um but we we try to have the litters uh, twice a year or have been with our Idaho pasture pigs um, and a couple of different crosses that we've had. Um, and then, you know, keep a few. We've kept a few of each of those litters. And then, like I said, we're supplementing with also buying, you know, pigs from local university uh, from their their farm uh, so that we can constantly have a you know revolving door. I, I think I told you we um, have kind of shot ourselves in the foot because we've actually, you know, sold too much pork. And so it's like, then we run out and then we have, we don't even have enough for, you know, family use almost. Uh, or, or we actually have to start going into the family stores, I guess if you want to call it, <laughs> right, uh, yeah. to, to be able to actually sell some. It's like, oh, you know, you got this, this customer that's repeating. And they're like, you know, man, Steven, I really, you know, I really need this for a meal or family get together coming up. Can you hook me up? And it's like, Oh, okay. But then, you know, <laughs> and then it's funny. I, uh, my dad and I are actually kind of in everything together. Um, 
And, oh, man, he gives me a hard time all the time because what I do, what we do is, you know, when we process pigs, you know, we have X amount that goes into our, you know, inspe- USDA inspected freezer that we sell. And then X amount goes into our personal freezers, you know, at my house and my, uh, my folks' house. And I, you know, normally I go over to my folks' house and I take stuff out of theirs if I need to sell something before I take it out of mine. So, you know, my dad gives me a, gives me a hard time about that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I had a, a good friend. He a couple of years ago, he he calls me. He said, "Man, I need more bacon." I was like, oh, "I'm sold out of bacon." He's like, "You're telling me you don't have any bacon?" I'm like, "Well, I don't have any <laughs> bacon to sell. I've got bacon." I said, "But it's personal use, and and you know, I don't go out in the middle of the winter time and knee deep mud not to have bacon anytime I want to." <laughs> so know, he was, yeah, that's he, a... he was giving me a hard time. I was like, "I can't believe you won't sell me any of your private stash bacon." I was like, <laughs> "Well, you know, there's a certain line you just can't cross." Oh, no, yeah, the bacon's bacon's right on up there, you know. I can I can part, you know, maybe a pack or two of pork chops with you, but right, you know, yeah. ba- the bacon and uh, for me, my favorite, my, my shoulder steak. So that's uh, that's usually one I'm not too willing to to part with very easily, like exactly. I say, especially if I'm supposed to be, you know, technically sold out. But yeah, that's what I told him. I said you're just not good enough a friend to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, let's talk about some of your sales a little bit. So you, um, you, you said just up until about last year, you were raising enough for personal consumption. What, uh, what tipped you over into the sales uh, arena? What, what made you stick your toe in that water? Yeah, I just, I just love talking with folks about um, the pigs and animals and stuff here on a little farm and just growing out. And, and I think that's what really started. It was just talking to friends and even some family and coworkers and just having conversations about, you know, kind of what we were doing, you know, because, you know, again, most people, I feel like especially, and it might be, I'm sure that's, it's like that everywhere, but, you know, here, Central North Carolina, here in the Southeast, you know, you know, old timers, I guess, if you want to call it, you know, everybody back in the day, you know, would have pig and everybody, you know, slot fed pig and corn, corn fed pigs. And, um, you know, down here, um, I don't know if you guys have this brand up there or what your local one is, but we have this, you know, one particular company um, that sells in a lot of the grocery stores and they're, and they're technically considered a local company, but they are, you know, a commercial operation. And yeah, uh, everybody kind of wants to compare, uh, you know, your, your product and your sausage to them. And mm-hmm. um, so I think, I think just the initial conversations, I guess, is what originally started wanting to sell and then realizing that, you know, I liked it. I just, I like talking with people and, uh, interacting with them about it and uh you know it just it just kind of really took off by word of mouth from there you know I, mean, I think sausage really continues to be our biggest seller and you know we just had you know christmas a few weeks ago and everybody wants to stock up on sausage for the holidays and having family in town and so that's just it's just kind of where word of mouth has really kind of took it off too. that that and our uh, our facebook page um you know getting a lot more attention and people interested in what we're doing yeah, and that was what was going to be my next question. So uh, word of mouth, obviously, you know, it, people that listen, the people that are talked to uh, on the podcast, you know, always these different uh, processes they do for, for marketing and getting their sales out. So word of mouth, of course, is that start. And then you touched upon the next one, so your social media. So what, uh, what strategy that do you have when it comes to social media to try to get sales generated, get interest going? So I, I guess a lot of it has been more of the, I guess, maybe the homestead side of it. Uh, on our page, a lot we post a lot of recipes and meals and things that we make out of our uh, pasture pigs and, and our actually our chickens, uh, poultry that we do. 
Uh, but that poultry is just for personal use. We don't sell that. Um, it's just getting people interested in it like that. Um, and then I think really, I mean, I, I just, just, you know, a quick Google search kind of can, you can look up ideas on how to kind of share your social media presence for a small business and that kind of thing. And I think I you know, did a little bit of that months ago now and, we were able to, you know, do some uh, little giveaways or like a draw-in to, you know, be able to kind of attract people to the page. And I mean, we we grew from, you know, just about a, a hundred followers on. I think we're pushing about eight hundred or so now, and uh, you know, we've really only been consistent using the page now for about a year, um, maybe a smidge longer. So we, we've grown pretty good like that. Uh, I found that, you know, with social media, you know. I guess like, kind of like all of us, you know, you kind of get invited to a page by a, a friend and you're like, oh, well, you know, I, I like you and you know, I'll support your business or you know, I'll support your, you know, your cousin's business. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, I think people just kind of click on something and right. um, not really realizing kind of what they clicked on. So I think then I guess it's kind of the responsibility or I guess it's decent, decent marketing to, you know, kind of keep people interested and kind of keep your stuff popping up on their newsfeed and, um, so that's kind of been a big thing for us and, and, you know, not everybody wants to buy, um, pork or sausage, but, you know, a lot of folks are interested in, you know, various things that we do. And, um, over time, I mean, I've had some people that, you know, liked our page in the beginning, you know, a year ago that may be local and may not really know personally, but, you know, here we are a year later and I've got, you know, still new people all the time, you know, contacting me, wanting to get put on my, you know, waiting list or pre-sold list for sausage and, you know, other retail cuts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point that the consistency on on social media and just kind of developing that trust as people see you, say okay, yeah, this you're not sure I, I know anything about Steve, and then oh okay, so yeah, he's he's social media. They've always got stuff going on, very family oriented, a lot of farm activities, those type of stuff, and it, you just build a trust to say I think I can, I think I can trust the product that, that he produces. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, and that's I mean, and it helps a lot too. With like I, I told you, uh, you know, when we talked earlier that. You know, I'm a I'm a fourth grade teacher, um, and so I have always. I mean, I'm in my ninth year of teaching now. We've always, even before we had pigs, I mean, we've always have done little pet and zoos and at spring flings and fall festivals and things like that for school. Um, and so, you know, when parents and kids and stuff are kind of, you know, seeing what I do on the side, you know, people get so interested in that, and uh, especially the kids and students I teach. Um, and we. Um, and then two, we this past summer we actually had a couple of homeschool groups come out. Um, I have a friend of mine who is a part of the local homeschool, I guess co-op, I think is what they call it. Mm -hmm. um, wanted to, um, you know, just bring some people over. And I know kind of first at the idea, I was like, oh my god, like I don't know what I would say or you know <laughs> what I would really do with them. I mean, we're not a, we're we're not the you know postcard farm, or right. I guess you know for describe describe it. Um, have this big magnificent barn and anything but you said oh no you'll be fine so you know we had like i think 30 kids and about that many many adults come on one particular day and i mean it's just and that generated a lot of interest for us and in, in social media and uh, some pork sales and things like that so we've, yeah we've been able to you know kind of really get our name out there pretty quick yeah that's great yeah i mean i think anytime it's a real pain in the neck, but anytime you can manage an on-farm visit uh, and let people see and, and, and just interact, then I, I think that's always going to produce uh, good results, you know, as long as your farm's up to par and nobody gets 
hurt or you don't slaughter oh, yeah. in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, great. Well, uh, Stephen, looking at uh, goals in the future, in the next five years, what do you see for Iron Bill Acre Farms? Uh, uh, what, do you, what do you think you're going to be doing there? Well, I think we're going to, I think at least this year, at least until the fall, I think, like I told you, we're kind of in an odd transition phase with kind of figuring out kind of what we want to do as far as breed of pig. Uh, so I, I think we're kind of slowing down just a smidge. Uh, we've really, which is going to be hard because we've really ramped it up in the last year, especially. Um, and we actually just only pre-sold um, several pigs for whole pigs um, and actually got a new thing where we're actually going to be, um, we kind of pre-sold the pigs or piglets and then we're actually going to, you know, get, you know, be boarding them basically for a monthly fee something a little different we're trying so we're, we're kind of doing that but we're probably going to slow down a little bit on the retail cuts uh long term i would like to you know I, you know it is a part-time thing now uh and i get for you know probably keep it a part-time but i would like to you know maybe ramp it up a little bit with um more processing dates and uh you know i tell my wife it's you know my goal is to be able to have a nice little just kind of uh, small building out, you know, at the in- entrance of our driveway where our sign and our iron belly is and be able to, you know, put multiple freezers in there and just kind of have a nice little farm store and, you know, partner with a couple other local folks that do different, you know, goods and uh, produce and things throughout the year. And, uh, you know, just kind of continue just working with the community. I, you know, I don't, I don't think short term or long term we want to, you know, become too big. I think we could uh, potentially if we wanted to, but, um, you know, I like working with kids and kind of what I do for my full-time thing. So we'll just kind of continue working with the community and kind of sharing what we're about and, you know, that, you know, showing people that, you know, raising animals on pasture and outdoors is, you know, the the best way to be able to do it. Yeah. So do you see, uh, do you see yourself, you know, five, 10 years down the road, do you see where you become a full-time farmer and you drop down to maybe a substitute teacher and just do that off and on so you can stay on the farm? Yeah, I don't know. We, uh, I think about it often. Uh, I can't never really quite tell myself that, okay, yeah, this is, this is kind of how I want to do it. Um, I've kind of, you know, tossed around different various ideas of how I could do things. I mean, I guess a couple ideas in mind is, um, you know, one I thought about doing, I, ha- I have a lot of interest in cooking uh, and things like that as well and, and using our own product and in different ways and so uh i don't know somehow maybe tossing that around as an idea of something could do in the future as far as like a even like a food truck or that kind of thing yeah uh with our you know on farm product plus you know some other local things as well um and then you know i tell um tell my wife all the time there's a a little um uh pharmacy that uh, you know local pharmacy that recently closed down and i you know i tell her all the time you know i'm gonna buy that place and uh, turn it into a farm you know pharmacy yeah, and just yeah. you know buy a local product and resale and you know i don't know it's uh everything's still kind of up in the air we uh we have a, a t- two-year-old at home now and we're really in you know enjoying her and uh, spending time with her and things and so i guess the consistency of my you know public education job is kind of hard to leave and right yeah Nice having so your summers uh, off, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It uh, definitely allows more time for hobby and take, doing stuff and you know, doing different things around here and traveling some too. So all right, very good. Well, um, in our our closing question, I normally ask everyone, Stephen, I'll hit you with the same thing here. What is your best experience or favorite parts about raising pigs on pasture? 
Mm. You know, Troy, I hear you ask this question every week, and I thought I would have an answer prepared. And, uh, <laughs> it's uh, oh, it's hard to pick. I, I think the biggest thing is just being able to, uh, you know, enjoy the fruits of your labor and just being able to, um, you know, enjoy the product and things that come with them. You know, I have people, co- co-workers especially, it seems like, ask all the time, you know, yeah, how how could you eat your own animal and, you know, thing you raised and, I think I really have kind of stuck by that um, and really 100% feel, you know, that, that saying that I guess, I don't know if he, you know, coined it or started it, but, you know, Joel Salatin says about, you know, the animals have, you know, the the best life you can possibly give them just one bad day. And I think, I think that is, you know, really been what we've kind of held to and just really, you know, respect that, you know, what the animal is a part of God's creation is, you know, providing me and my family and, and it offers up opportunities to be able to talk to folks about it as well. Absolutely. So I guess, yeah. I guess that'd have to be it. Great. Awesome. Good answer. I like that. All right. Well, um, Stephen, if uh, people want to learn more about your farm, I think you kind of touched upon that, but if you would give us, uh, give us uh, some details of where they can find out more about you. Okay. Yeah. So right now we don't have a website. Uh, it's just pretty much everything is through Facebook uh, is our only social media presence. Um, and usually the easiest way to find us is to type in the at symbol and then Iron Bell Acres one word. Uh, that usually pops it our farm page up the quickest. Uh, if you just type in Iron Bell Acres, I know I've had folks tell me that uh, you get some Iron Bell other things, uh, various social media stuff. Right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's, it's at it's uh, Iron Bell Acres is our uh, farm name, and that's how you can track us down on Facebook. Excellent. All right. Well, man, I pray that uh, things dry out for you, as as we're hoping they do here as well, and and hope you have a uh, have a good uh, beginning of the year. Are you as well? And uh, Troy, I appreciate you having me on, Troy. I appreciate. It. All right, good talking to you. All right, well, I appreciate Stephen taking the time to talk. Enjoyed that conversation there uh, that we had. Uh, be sure to check out his uh, his links that he provided, and we'll have those down in the show notes, of course. Uh, before um, we wrap up. Uh, I, I need to apologize to people. I, I, I always do my call to action to say, hey, go to our uh, website, uh, redtoolhouse.com. Click on the Pastured Pig podcast link. You'll see a little form, a couple simple questions. You can fill that out, and uh, that way I can follow up with you about getting you on the podcast. Well, I realized, and I don't know, quite honestly, I don't know how long that form has been inactive. It It acts like it's working, but it just goes into the abyss. So, some of you all have completed that form and probably are thinking, well, that dirtbag hasn't called me or had reached out to me. He must not want to talk to me. That is not true. Uh, and I apologize if you all have filled out that form and you have not heard from me and you would like to be on the podcast or you'd like to suggest somebody or topics. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, please go back and do that again. I do have the form fixed and I have some double redundancies in place there. So uh, I apologize, but if you go fill out that form, then I can get that information now and we'll get you scheduled to be on the podcast. I'd really like to get uh, you know, a robust schedule into 2020 of, of people that uh, have yet to be on or, or people that have been on already and want to have specific topics. So uh, just let me know through that, uh, that form, if you would, please. Well, I pray everyone has a great week and you get to spend some quality time out in the pasture with your pigs. Okay, take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.